everyone. Welcome to Lost Man Standing, the podcast where we explore ecology, spirituality, and sex. I am your host, Rainier Wild, your tour guide and fellow tourist in this journey where we explore the manosphere together. Hey, today is a super cool podcast that we have for you. It's episode three. If you haven't listened to the other two, please do so. Um, you can also visit us at evolvingwild.live to check out our other things, such as articles and connect to our Instagram feed at Evolving Wild. Um, today, I get to host one of my best friends uh, and members of my tribe of brothers, Drew. Drew is a longtime um, coffee entrepreneur. Uh, an owner of a local coffee shop in the Portland metro area, um, and really a brother in this quest to discover what's at the heart of being fully and deeply alive in connection with himself, with others, uh, with the more than human world, um, and really discovering that sense of the masculine, the sacred masculine. And today we kind of take a meandering conversation through a little bit of how we met, um, our interactions with each other, uh, we sort of retrospectively look back at these places. You'll instantly notice that the sound quality is a little compromised. We are recording outside, uh, not actually in the feral, wild, forested places, but actually in my backyard. And um, we kind of blend that seamlessly into the sense of ecology but if you notice wind like tsunami gusts um, that is in fact not a tsunami that's just the wind so keeping that in mind uh, without further ado lost man standing maybe you could tell me what you think is going on you're here because you know something what you know you can't explain but you feel it you felt it your entire ain't all sunshine and rainbows it's a very mean and nasty place and i don't care how tough you are it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it this life's hard man but it's harder if you're stupid i've been around you know there was a time i could see and i have seen but there is nothing like the sight of an amputated spirit but it ain't about how hard you hit it's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Today, woo, I've got the style and profile like never before. To be the man, you got to beat the man. And I'm saying, woo, right here. I'm the man. Yeah, I know. We're outside. We're smoking cigars. Drinking uh, some tequila. You're drinking tequila. I'm drinking tequila. I'm drinking coffee. How is it that I have the tequila and you have coffee? I don't know. It, it, sh- it should be coffee. the opposite because I'm I'm the one who's not driving tonight. I'm not sure if it should be. This is true. <laughs> yeah. So hey, uh, I am here with my good friend Drew. We are sitting outside my house, smoking cigars, um, and we're gonna have a talk. Um, you were saying just a minute ago that part of part of this whole uh, movement really because because last episode of the podcast i i clearly defined that that we are the fuck sticks leading this movement and um <laughs> what's this movement about <laughs> uh well part of it that you explained last week um or last podcast was about ecology and we're in the forest in the pacific northwest yep Right in the forest. In fact, last week, you and I and another buddy of ours took a walk, about a five-minute walk from your house. A barefoot walk. Barefoot walk, which was phenomenal, something I don't do enough, um, in the forest. So why not record a podcast in the forest Yeah. with the trees? And if you're a listener and this is hard for you, just embrace it. Yeah, yeah. Maybe things are hard. Maybe things are shitty in life, and you should get used to that. Or you should get outside more. Oh, yeah, like, maybe you should listen to the podcast outside also. Yeah. So you don't know whose wind it is, ours or yours. Or after the podcast, go for a walk outside. Oh, I like that. You could do it while you're listening to the podcast, but I think that's something that has drawn me in the last few years. 
probably in the last year especially to get outside more yeah so i mean i think it actually might be worthwhile you and i um let's see the first time we really connected a, a spiritual director uh of of both of ours actually um you were you were doing some consulting with their organization and for uh, coffee for coffee right which is your your kind of area of expertise yeah, yeah well expertise i feel like the more that i learn about coffee the wider the you know that as you wedge into it and you open up a new piece of coffee it gets deeper and deeper and deeper uh, as with any subject i suppose yeah i mean I, I think that's spoken like a like a true master what's that quote uh, those who know don't say those who say don't know sure right so i think you're being really humble right now i, I don't see it as humble I honestly feel that as you get deeper into a subject, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. So, so others might see it as humble, and I see it as reality. Right. There's, there's a lot to know, and and each year, each, it gets deeper and deeper. And new information comes out, new studies. Um, a lot of it's based around scientific studies on coffee. Um, See, you, you you are so far into coffee that you just cited scientific studies sure. into it. Oh, my goodness. Um, where I'm at now with the roasting process, uh, there are thousands of chemical processes happening in a roast um, it, that I don't even understand it. Hmm. I do my best to keep up with it. Um, and the roasting world it, it sort of borrows from the wine world um, with a lot of its language so you know I don't see it as humble I see see it this is part of the process of learning something you you go deeper and I mean it's beginner's mind right absolutely absolutely okay so you and I meet you're doing consulting with this organization I'm walking through the halls of this organization um at that moment in time, uh, my wife and I were going through uh, just a, a, a life-altering crisis, and um, uh, Greg, who was um, our spiritual director during that time, um, uh, was walking with me, and he pointed you out, and he said, oh, Drew, meet Rainier. Rainier, meet Drew. Um, and the love affair began. Yeah, yeah. Well, so we didn't actually interact again until uh, a silent meditation retreat several months later <laughs> which we were only allowed to speak at meals <laughs> right and did that work it did i felt like <laughs> you know I, I had comments from people that, that said whatever happened who, I do you know him like oh. you two the bantering between you two was fantastic there was a lot of witty banter wasn't oh there? it was great i don't even remember what we said but for some reason we connected really deeply I, I, I sense you were a major man crush I still have that man crush on Hasn't yourself ended. Or? I always have a man crush on myself but on on you on yes on me absolutely oh it gosh. hasn't ended my my kids complimented your beard as you walked in the door that's like the man crush has expanded to multiple generations a you new know, generation you know what I got a massage on very manly massage like, did you pay for On that? Friday, of course. <laughs> on your beard? No, not oh. on my beard. I got a massage, and my massage therapist said, wow, your beard is getting huge. And and then she she told me, hey, check out my website. And she we pulled it up on my oh. phone. And it tells me when, um, astrologically, when to cut my beard for what? to grow longer versus, when, you know, I shouldn't cut it on certain days because it won't grow versus other days it'll grow faster yeah so um i haven't trimmed my beard since and i and i will follow that and, and see what happens you know, the next time i i meet with her so we sort of we sort of swapped ideas um she gave me that i gave her the spell of the sensuous as oh. a book to read and as soon as Who's i that by the again title, david abrams david abrams david abrams one of one of our top favorite books here at evolving wild blows your mind yeah and she was really amped 
she couldn't wait to read it. So, so I'll, I'm gonna do the beard thing, and then when I get back to her in a month or two, she's gonna she will have read the book. Does that mean you're gonna cut your beard? Is that no. trim? Absolutely, certain certainly certain times to trim. Okay. Um, For everything, there is a season. Absolutely, and it's not a trim. It's more of just a. Well, I guess it's a trim. It's just getting some of the a, the a shaping. That, if you will, could be a shaping. I don't see it as a shaping as much as I see it as there's just some pieces that go everywhere. Okay, I guess that's a shaping. So we met at this meditation retreat for the second time and really connected. I was really excited in that moment in time, and s- still am, by uh, really this anthropological concept around. Uh, civilization uh certainly our plight within that um our hunter-gatherer origins as a species you know 70,000 years of homo sapiens sapiens flourishing um and then just this very apparent physical emotional spiritual decline which we sort of justify with this ponzi scheme called civilization um, and I was undoubtedly really excited to talk about that. You and I talked about that quite a bit. You took me to a, a coffee tasting, and we started to really connect it. Do you remember that? Absolutely. Uh, for those of you that live in the, the northwest end of Portland area, I took him to Barista. Ooh, that's a good one, right? That's a great one. Yeah. Uh, the the man who started Barista was a, I, th- I think he was a Barista championship, at, or won the Barista championship at some point. And I took you um, for an espresso tasting. Okay. And we sort of dissected the flavors in espresso uh, as it cooled. And I, th- I think you became fascinated at that point um, with coffee. Well, I, I think, you know, actually what fascinated me more than, than even coffee um, was your approach to it. You had... Um, you had an approach that you described almost, it was almost like mindfulness mm-hmm. around that. Can, can you talk a, a little bit more about uh, how you were conceptualizing it, maybe how you still are about th- this human experience? Sure. So I think it's easy to walk through your daily life and not pay attention to anything. You know, I get coffee and I get it for the caffeine and I move on to my next thing. And I, I really think that there's a way to be intentional about everything, including coffee. Yeah, I mean, I think you're you're kind of talking about the difference between mindlessness and, I mean, mindfulness, yeah? Sure. Uh, f- for the longest time, I would just drink coffee for the caffeine. I would For the fuel. For the fuel, yeah. right? Uh, but as I started tasting great coffee... It, it was much more than that. There was specific flavors as the coffee cools down. There's different flavors that come that, that come to the surface. And um, you miss those if you just pound the espresso or if you just drink your coffee on the road and you're, you know, I got my caffeine fix, I'm out. Um, but if you pay attention, you, you get some really interesting experiences. And, and they're not just experiences, but they're intentional from the roaster. And then from that roaster, if you go, if you, if you take it back further, it's to the farmer who had specific farming practices that brought out specific flavors mm. in the coffee mm-hmm. uh, that the roaster was then able to bring out. Uh, so it, it's a much deeper experience than I need my caffeine fix. And and it strikes me that as a consumer, I can just assume that here's my $2.90 or here's my $3.50. This is my cash that I'm paying for, you know, your product, but it's actually way bigger than that, right? Of course, and it depends on which coffee shop you go to. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) There are a lot of new coffee shops within the third wave or specialty coffee world that are producing some pretty fantastic tasting coffees. And it's not just... I mean, it, wait, wait, wait. Uh, you just said third wave. What, what, what's that? Sure. So there's, there's three waves of coffee. Um, we're in what's considered the third wave now, and I think they're trying to figure out 
what's the fourth wave? What's well, the first wave? Uh, the first wave of coffee is more the canned coffee. So you Columbia Folgers in your Folgers cup. in your cup, which actually, if you watch their commercials, is fascinating. <laughs> with the you know they're waking up to these the this can is yeah. <laughs> that one. It's Folgers in your. It's cup. a mindfulness commercial. It absolutely is, which is funny because as because <laughs> I don't think it's mindful <laughs> scooping a, some no, Folgers out of a said can. No one ever. But their commercials are very mindful. Totally. Um, so, so it starts with that, and then it moves to Starbucks, uh, which creates this new specialty coffee world of um, espresso and, and milk. And Oh, so that's the second wave. Second wave. And then this new third wave is, is much more geared towards the farmer, the practices, sort of this new, whether it's fair trade which now it's moved more towards direct trade. Mm. So it's farmer and, and coffee shop. Or a holistic company. approach. Yeah, it's more of a holistic approach because they're connecting with the, the actual farmer. They're meeting the farmer, uh, and they're trying to better their lives as well as get the best product possible. So they're working with them for year after year after year. Mm. Uh, it's much more about the um, preparation of coffee and how you handle the coffee versus just how can we get this out quick to as many customers as possible, which... Yeah. It's still part of it, you know, as, the, as it gets more and more popular. These coffee shops are super busy. Mm. So they're having to sort of, they have this tension now, I think, of, of great coffee and um, phenomenal taste and phenomenal preparation. And, and they're also still having to train customers mm. on how to taste this stuff versus, you know, a lot of people come out and say, ah, oh, it just tastes like acid. It's too acidic. It tastes like ass. It tastes like ass. Yeah. Uh, in fact, that's how I was when I moved to Pacific Northwest. I was like, oh, this, this is terrible. But as you learn more about that world, this third wave world, you start to appreciate it for what it is and you start to taste it for what it well, is. Well, you said it, it almost becomes like wine, wine tasting. It's right? very much more. Yeah, it's very much like wine. In fact, they have borrowed a lot of the language from wine. Huh. Um, but it, as far as I understand, which I'm still a tourist, I feel. Oh. A humble tourist. I like that. In coffee. That's good. Uh, this these these flavors that well they take on their own characteristics i'm guessing and and kind of become their own nuanced thing uh it's interesting hearing you talk about this obviously there's a lot of passion i think that one of the things that really motivated me um that that time that we were together um was sort of looking at where it feels like culture and civilization are trending and they're trending towards a very transhuman experience a very um, <clears throat> avatar-like quality where we're hiding behind technology where we're, we're no longer encountering the tactile physical sensual universe and <clears throat> as we were standing there in that coffee shop I, I became so aware of the potential of, of things even like coffee um, or as you said, almost anything, but, but certainly that to become a unifying aspect where people could have and step into a sensual experience again. Mm -hmm. And that's really interesting to me. Yeah. I mean, if, if we think about, uh, just everything that we're doing right now, culturally, Part of the part of the issue is there's a huge drift, right? There's a drift away from one another, a drift away from connection. And here you and I are, you know, and even now we're sitting, you know, <laughs> surrounded by by wind. There's kind of noisy children off in the distance. There's uh, this coffee that I'm having. There's tequila now flowing through your blood. There's um, kind of my I'm I'm a little nauseous from the the tremendous cigar. That we've both been smoking. Yeah, no, the same this? ones. This, but is... this is a part of Gus. Okay. The double Maduro. Yeah, Maduro, fantastic. Maduro. I, I'm about to start. You have a nub left. In. <laughs> I have a nub left. You're like going to have to use the, tweezers. The fire. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, we're having this very sensual experience. Uh, um, and, and, and to move it away from coffee, that was where it really catalyzed. And, and then we, we both read The Spell of the Sensuous by Abrams. And uh, it seemed like it took off from there. What did that book mean to you? Like, what did you what did you draw in? You you just recommended the book mm -hmm. to someone. What's that all about? She said, "What did that book? What was so good about that book?" And to me, there was a moment in the book. There were many moments, but one moment where 
touching a tree. Mm-hmm. You have this very sensual experience, right? You have a physical experience of touching a tree. And to me, it normally ends there. Eh, well, there's the bark. Yeah. But he sort of extrapolated on that, that the tree is also touching you back. Ah. <laughs> Which to me, I, it was a fascinating experience that the tree sees me. I yeah. see the tree, and the tree sees me, which sounds very new agey, hmm. but I don't really care. It it's um, it was a very impactful experience, um, which then led you and I, I think, on an experience yeah. into the forest together on a on a specific hike. It, it was the middle of winter, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, <clears throat> we, yeah, we went into to one of the great national forests around here and went on a early morning all day trek, right? To a hot springs. To a hot springs, that's right. A naked hot springs. Na- <laughs> well, we weren't naked, but there were definitely people that were interested in the nudity part. There were people I wanted to see naked. <laughs> Which we were leaving at, at the point they were arriving. I was about to get back in at that point. <laughs> we almost went back, although our spots were taken. They were. And you and I found the best spot. Oh, we had it was a huge so tub good. to ourselves. Huge wooden tub. Although the, the water was not flowing. So no. I had to get out, take yeah. a a large bin, fill it up where it was being stopped quite a ways up the stream. Right. And bring it and fill our tub. It was hard work. That wasn't too bad. It was great. <laughs> you did it. There I, was something fascinating I about it to me. Work. It was cold outside. It was. I did have my boardies on, so I wasn't naked. Um, but I had to walk barefoot up the stream. In the snow. Through a bunch of mud. Yeah. Uh, and collect the water while there were potentially a naked couple in the in the booth right above me. Yeah. And I was taking their water. And you know what I remember about that moment? I remember kind of this burnt out, um, <clears throat> this, uh, I remember him at least as kind of this burnt out hippie. And he was sitting there and he was telling us that he had been there an awful lot. Mm-hmm. And that, um, that he had been there, uh, sorry, there's a dog in the background now. Um, a wild dog in the middle of the forest, undoubtedly a feral dog. Yeah. Luckily, we have a boundary with a fence protecting yeah. us. No, this is this is a, a very. And when I say fence, it's a bunch of bushes. Yeah, this is this is the the dead of the wild. Here. Do you have a, something something to protect us here? <laughs> God, my raw <laughs> strength. Well, okay. So going back to that moment, that's kind of funny because this guy was telling the story about how he had been to the hot springs before. He goes, oh, and there were a bunch of of. Um, dangerous men. There were a bunch of, of Harley riders. This was way back. Yeah. When it first began. Yeah, he was telling, right, like this is in the 60s and 70s he's talking about. The last time he was there, he said, oh, these dangerous men. And I remember you and I walking out and almost feeling a little slighted, like, huh. In his comment, he revealed that there were dangerous men and we were not those kind of men. Yeah. And I remember both of us feeling like, what is it about us that is giving off these signals that that we are not dangerous? And and that really actually began to connect, I think, to some of these other questions we were having about what is what is masculinity? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, what were we reading at the time? Oh, Besides Spell of the Century. Oh, that's right. The, the, uh, the Way of Men by the Jack Donovan. The Way of Men by Jack Donovan. Yeah. And we began to speak. Yeah, I mean, you were t- telling me about... This uh, this group of men that were boxing each other, right? Like and to a, me, like a modern fight club. A modern fight club. And to me, I, I I sort of shrugged that off and thought, that's ridiculous. Why would I want to fight anybody? Well, because because we were, I mean, both of us were uh, soft men, like really good uh, pacifistic uh, Jesus I, pacifists. Yeah, like in the way of the master. And like Gandhi, Gandhi quality, and um, and so the idea of even doing something like that and pretend, let alone for real, that was kind of that was a different thought for us in that moment. Oh, I think I fought you the whole way. I think you were pretty intrigued by the thought, like way more than you. Absolutely, I think I I think I I had all sorts of arguments as to why there's no reason to get into a a little circle and. And box with you. Right. Which now is completely different. I've we, boxed you many nights. Many nights. I've taken a hit from you many nights. And I've taken a hit from you. And they don't they don't feel great. No. But actually I enjoy them. We've both actually laughed at each other's hits at times. And you. And and, and I have what? I've Well, I I made the mistake because I'm not a boxer of lowering my head and I oh, that's I'm right. pretty sure that you 
hammered me on the head. That's right. I dropped you. I mean, you didn't drop. I think I've healed from that now. Yeah. Your ego has recovered. Well, it wasn't my ego. I mean, it helps that I'm like a foot taller and 100 pounds on you. This is true. But I have some pretty good shots on you. But what it's done for me, Mm -hmm. getting in the ring with you, it's given me some confidence. I tend to size men up and think, oh, could I? What what if there was a, a situation where I had to protect my family? Yeah, had you been doing that before that moment? No. Okay. No, I actually, in middle school, I was required to be in wrestling for PE. And my first wrestling match, I promptly went home and had my parents call and get me out of out of wrestling and back into kickball. Wait, 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 wait. So this that was not ideological, though. <laughs> but at some point in time in middle school you opted out of this this physical violence thing Mm -hmm. but if it wasn't ideological what was it i didn't like it i didn't like another guy especially a smaller guy than i i was a smaller guy anyways taking me down he he, to be fair had experience in wrestling um and i am a i was a basketball player and a golfer Golf, not so physical. Basketball. Basketball can be physical. Absolutely. Which I found my my niche in that I, I actually got physical, and I really enjoyed that. I got pushed around a lot, but I also pushed back quite a bit. And but you didn't want to wrestle. I didn't want to wrestle, but I hadn't I didn't have any experience in that. So so let me ask you this because there was a there was a a gentleman who came. Um, so so Drew and I actually run a weekly ritual men's gathering which has a, a lot of different moving parts to it. One of them is this physical exertion part, sometimes we box. There was a gentleman who came to that, and um, afterwards when we were kind of debriefing with him in, in subsequent meetings, he said, I, I couldn't believe that you would push men to do this thing that might cause them shame, right? And I, I can't help but wonder if there is this residual fear of those experiences because of the shame that one might experience. Sure, and some of that shame probably comes from some sort of past experience. Because mm-hmm. when I heard that, I thought, how is this shameful to you? But something in their past has made that shameful. So going all the way back to your, your middle school kind of pulling away, was there a fear of being shamed? I don't think at that point there was. Okay. Yeah. Well, so I've got I've got two middle school boys right now, mm-hmm. and uh, and actually one of them got pretty significantly bullied this this last year, and um, again had a had a, a head on the other the other boy, and probably is far stronger than him, and um, but is terrified of that encounter that might come to fighting, and I think when we've talked about it. He really is scared of being embarrassed. He's scared of hurting the other boy. He's scared of being hurt, but I think more than anything, he, he is scared of being embarrassed by mm-hmm. him. And well, you know, as I reflect, I think it was embarrassing. Mm-hmm. A smaller a smaller boy yeah. pinned me to the mat. I don't like that. Who likes that? Yeah. So I suppose there's probably some shame there, especially if I could go back to a sport that I'm good at mm-hmm. and I can show my talent and I can be on top. Yeah. There's something to that. And I think this is one of the things that, uh, gosh, this is one of the things now that statistically is driving uh, boys and girls away from athletic competition and sports in general is that why go be shamed when I can simply have a solo experience elsewhere where I can take my defeat, like at, you know, Call of Duty or whatnot, and simply hit restart, right? So how do we do that then? If I look back at my experience, how as my dad, how does he go, no, 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 Drew, you get back into this. Yeah. It, it's not, this is, this is okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you can get through this, right? Rather than, oh, let me call the PE teacher and get you back into basketball or kickball or whatever it is that the rest of the students are doing god it's such a good question you know we we really struggled again with this with uh, our second oldest son who was having this experience we really wanted to to validate both uh his experience of potentially having this very embarrassing scenario and trying to create options for him in the school where he didn't have to have this confrontation but also to really 
reinforce his ability to handle the confrontation in a way that that made sense to him like even if that involved getting into a fight Mm -hmm. i I think it actually has to do with coaching boys and men through shame i mean going back to those ritual men gatherings that we do i think i'm not afraid of men having a shame experience because within that i believe that we can coach them through that in a way that actually becomes a redemptive emotional experience yeah and then there's some sort of learning experience around that that they can take forward for me i never went back into that world i've never been in a fight yeah my only fighting is with you and and a few of the guys at the fire yeah well so really weird question now you're sizing guys up could could you defend yourself today god i hope so yeah Uh, i think that's a big question for me now um coming from the world of okay, I'm not going to be wrestling because somebody beat me to a very pacifist position. Like you made an ideology Absolutely. out of that instinct. Oh, I mean, it was a, a lot of years there. Sure. But now, I, I, it's on my mind a lot. What if a guy comes up to my family or my wife or my kids? Um, can I defend? And will I defend? And I hope to God I will, but... This is such an interesting question because, you know, I was a dyed-in-the-wool pacifist, and I'm sure you were too. This was always one of the questions that I think really, like, got me when people would say, you know, they would use that extreme scenario, like, well, what would you do if somebody came to your house and raped your wife in front of you? I would Would watch them. (laughs) Right? Like, (laughs) oh, I would say, I will turn the other cheek, my friend. You know, like... (laughs) I think that there is this. Your wife really has to be on board with that. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And that's an entirely different scenario right there that you've painted. You're drunk, Drew. Not drunk, (laughs) but this tequila is quite quite good. I don't know what it is you have. It's probably some shitty stuff. It's a mix. It's a mix. (laughs) You mixed two tequilas Uh, to give to me? Many different alcoholic beverages. (laughs) So, I mean, that's interesting, though, that that extreme scenario. But I think it always kind of dropped me in that moment where I was like well well, gosh no of course I'm going to defend the things that are valuable but the truth is culturally there is so little that we actually have to defend right well you have the police to call Ah. right you have uh, somebody else that comes to do your defending well that's not very pacifistic at all that's just deferring it well I get to be the pacifist but somebody else gets to do the the, you know the power the the forcefulness so we're actually okay with violence just as long as it's somebody else who I don't have to see being violent on my behalf doesn't that feel better well yeah I mean (laughs) it's it's like the ultimate specialization right yeah and it allows me to have this ethical illusion that I'm a good and decent person and that, well, they're just reaping the consequences of their action. The law is getting them for me. Right. I think there's a lot of gangs out there that are pushing back on this. You know, yeah. No snitching, right? Right. I had a friend who started a t-shirt company. It says, snitches get stitches. Oh, <laughs> that's an awesome one. It is. And there's a great photo of actually of him. Uh, on it, but there's something to, the, and it, I think it goes back to an honor culture uh-huh. where you take care of your own shit. Yeah. You know, somebody's messing with your family, and as a man, you you take care of that, or your group takes care of that, and you don't have to call the authorities. Right. Um, I want to say that in I can't remember what city that the police kind of allowed this. As long as there were no guns involved, they let huh. them take care of their own situations, which I thought was fascinating. Because like, nobody was dying. That's vigilante justice, right? Is that kind of the concept there? Maybe. Yeah. I mean, the the, the polar opposite of that, which you just described, is, uh, and I think I've shared this story with you, you know, I again, I come from the, the psychotherapeutic world. I remember a fellow therapist describing this scenario where um, he disciplined his child physically. And I, I mean, I, I can't say he was really my friend. He was describing this scenario. I, I was honestly a little appalled by his description. Um, he used the word, and I think I just, oh, it grosses me out still talking about it. He said, I thumped her 
on the face. Like, I, I don't even get that. Like, what is a thump? He thumped his two-year-old on the face. Like, was he spanking her face or something? I just imagine it's a finger flicking. Okay. When you say thump, I imagine... Look, I flicked you on the mouth, or the, on the face. I think he certainly was hoping that's what we would take from it. It could have been worse. But but at whatever level, he certainly felt bad about it. He, he tells his spouse, who is also a social worker, they're in bed together, and his, his spouse turns to him and actually says to him, are you going to call CPS to report this, or will I? She actually made him call... CPS on himself. I mean, to me, this is mind-boggling. It's like the state was there in bed with them. Right. And this is the opposite of honor culture. This is, and who knows? Maybe she, maybe she wanted to send him like a warning signal sure. or something. But this is bizarre. Like that—that that was the very opposite of this honor culture, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. And I hate that. But I think I've—I've I've come to hate it. You know, like uh, maybe before. And maybe before a lot of this exploration that you and I have done and, and we, we've explored with others, maybe I would have been right on board with that same kind of nanny state approach. Um, but I think kind of going back to maybe that forest walk and some of the things that we were we were uncovering, there was this question, what, what do dangerous men have that we don't? Um, is there a reality to, and, and Donovan expresses this, I think in one of the most lucid expressions that I've encountered, um, is there a difference between being good men and being good at being a man? Mm-hmm. I love that articulation. Do you remember that? I do. I, I just read a bit on that again. Um, I find reading something and then rereading it six months later is, is pretty helpful. Um, yeah, and you know what? That was actually really uh, challenging. I, I think, and I just, I do want to caveat and say, uh, I don't read authors um, because I agree with everything they say. Certainly in this case, I don't necessarily agree with everything he says in his books. I, I certainly don't necessarily agree with his uh, lifestyle or some of those choices. Um, I kind of take an approach like, uh, like I take to, to meat, I'm going to eat the meat and I'm going to discard the bones, you know? And, uh, I think we're probably both like that, but, but yeah, that was a really fascinating thing. Like, can I be, how do I become good at being a man? Mm-hmm. What, what does that involve? <laughs> that's it's a huge question. I, I, that's something I'm a tourist in right now. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna press you on this okay. because when we were when we were there, both you and I were having critical life events mm-hmm. that connected to um, this need to discover something more of ourselves than what we had experienced before, mm-hmm. and part of that for you actually had to do with your relationship with your spouse, mm-hmm. and we, I mean. <laughs> Would you mind talking a little bit about about your own sense of manhood, who you are in relationship to your partner and your marriage? Because mm-hmm. I think that's a big part of, of your journey. I don't know if you can articulate that. Yeah. Um, I would venture to guess that most men, or a lot of men, are in this a similar place. Um, and what I found for me... Is, is being with other men you know this sense of tribe you know I, I I've been wondering more and more to be a man uh, sort of this lone wolf is seems a little bit of a little bit of bullshit hmm. and to be with other men to work through um, not just your, your stuff with your spouse your family and other things but to be a man in a group what does yeah. that mean what does that look like is that what does that mean to be a good man in a group or to be a man in a group Mm-hmm. So I, I suppose that would be a question for you too. Mm-hmm. Well, and yeah, so kind of circling back and and then addressing that myself, I think probably like you, I have really identified my way of being a man usually in relationship to to women. Mm-hmm. Same here. Whether it's my partner or lovers or mistresses or. Um, or my mom or my sister and that those relationships actually tend to uh, dominate my reflection of myself you know and you're right it becomes incredibly fucking isolating Mm -hmm. 
and I do think it 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 takes away from that sense not only of my masculinity but but who I am in general right and there is something about connecting to other men connecting to a tribe of other men even if it's just one other man Mm -hmm. um, that becomes shaping in a way that is very very different than only defining myself in relationship to the feminine Mm -hmm. and and when you mention the masculinity what do you mean by that yeah yeah gosh well and i mean that's the that's the million dollar question at this point um you know again i i think that i was just talking um with someone about this and i said what does it mean to be a man and and he said uh my cock you know i that's what i initially think it's not my cock it's I, I sort of the eggplant to, emoji. I mean, I guess it is my <laughs> cock. Like I bear. I, I, initially, I, I feel like you boil it down to a man in, especially when the polarity is a woman. A man has a penis, right? Right. Female doesn't. But there's so much more to it than that. That's the, like the initial piece. But then there's this biological sense, this biological piece of um, the hormones that are at play that make a man a man testosterone and you know I, I mentioned to you I just started reading a book um, and I'm just at the beginning of it uh, called the male brain mm. uh, I'm pretty excited about getting into that but it seems to me that there are very different pieces to a female and a male right just in the brain and, and just with hormones did, did that take did that take 36 years to figure out that there's there's different different pieces no absolutely not didn't take 36 years but i think in the culture we live in you're right and and what you said it's it's your masculinity sort of is based on what the female says yeah um but i think this some of this research that comes out is is making it much more clear and scientifically clear that men are specifically different and there is this uh, um assertiveness and this aggressiveness and these are based on hormones that are pumping through a man's body so i think a lot of men think oh how do i get rid of this how do i how do i put this on the sidelines but these are just normal male experiences that we need to be okay with and and to be fair i think men and men that are dangerous men can find a way to um, i don't think curb is the right word control some of these uh, so there are dangerous men who can t- control them these uh, hormones these basic just urges wanna, these basic urges yeah, yeah absolutely well right like <clears throat> just because it's a a causal reproductive urge to fuck everything that is moving um doesn't mean i have to act on it mm-hmm. that's a big life lesson for me mm-hmm. uh <laughs> That's a good life lesson. I know. If you're going to be in a relationship. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, right. Like if you're going to be in a monogamous relationship, you probably shouldn't go around, you know, uh, seducing other women or, or fucking other women. turns out that's a good move. It's not going to last too long. It's not. And unless you have really great people who are willing to do the work with you and, and, and try and figure out your shit with you. Yeah. Um, or I, unless your wife is interested in that, just being a part of your relationship. Right, right. Like the old open relationship. I guess that's not really a monogamous relationship. Thing. No, <laughs> no. That is something else entirely. That's a different podcast entirely. Sure. We'll get into that next We time. certainly will. <laughs> but, but I, I mean, I think going back to this, yes, there are these innate biological uh, dispositions that seem to have uh, hormonal, physical... Um, uh, effect within men. You, you name them: aggression, assertiveness, activeness, um, potential to, for violence. A potential for violence. And today we're we're so inhospitable to any of those. You know, there's a there's a book literally called Demon Males, hmm. which actually tracks um, uh, primate uh, behavior among all primates, specifically among apes, and shows how men are, you know males are are rapey and, and just horrible violent creatures well okay that i mean that's a perspective but i i do think that within civilization we have overlaid it positively with these virtues of courage and uh, mastery and strength and, and honor i think those are, are pansexual in the sense that Hopefully, my, my daughter also Absolutely. exhibits courage. Your daughters. I have exhibit, three daughters. You have three daughters, right? And uh, hopefully, they're courageous. Uh, 
right? But I do think they pair well with these male virtues or these male characteristics, mm-hmm. right? That we we have to augment them. So, and there's just few places to practice that. And I think that that's really where you and I mm-hmm. kind of begin to connect and say, okay, we need to connect with these and we need to have practice places where we can begin to learn them and try them on. So what is that? looking like for what we're doing yeah i mean so uh uh, i think i think it can look a lot of different ways for us obviously that's that's um been these ritual men's gatherings that we've done and we've kind of tapped into some of those more archetypal um expressions uh of of manhood i don't want to i don't want to you know reveal too much of how you make the sausage on this one (laughs) but um but i do think physical exertion i do think allowing uh allowing people to experience intense emotion and to not save them not rescue them and also not allow men to be victims in that experience sorry so you said something about emotion here Mm -hmm. and so men actually are emotional and they can be in groups of men be emotional. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting because one of the, the hormonal differences between men and women, you know, if you observe boys and, and you have three daughters, I have three boys and a girl. My boys are as emotional prepubescent as their sisters. In fact, they are more intensely emotional. They will each cry at the drop of a hat. But what I know developmentally is different between boys and girls is that when that testosterone rush begins to hit with them, they actually will have less access to their tear duct quality. Like they won't be able to cry when they connect with sadness. This has nothing to do with culture. This really doesn't. I mean, it may be reinforced by culture, but actually it starts off primarily as a hormonal issue. So what's going on there then? It's... Are they trying to solve the problem? They certainly move to problem solving yeah. far faster. Yeah. They're far more focused, right, on the triggering event. Um, and I think that gets reinforced. I, I don't think boys are are allowed to sit with their emotions as much. And I, I do think they should be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but do I think that boys and men have less emotions? No. Mm-hmm. No, not at all. But what's our culture telling us? Well, I think our culture tells us that, that boys are cultured out of emotions, which I don't believe. I simply believe that we show it in very, very different ways. Or we don't have a way of, a place to show it. Right. Well, especially when one of the predominant male emotions that I do believe we actually experience in large part is anger. And anger is absolutely rejected culturally. We cannot show it. People are terrified of anger. I mean terrified of of the feminine when the feminine gets angry terrified of the masculine when the masculine gets angry i I just think culturally we don't know how to handle that Mm -hmm. and i certainly know that for me anger was kind of like a red balloon bobbing along that i couldn't access for a lot of years bad shit would happen to me shit that that i should be angry about and i couldn't get angry about it and i don't think that's okay i think that's compulsion why couldn't you get angry and what did the anger look like? Like, mm. what was it they were preventing? Yeah. Are you getting angry? I do think it was in my family, um, particularly. We we were taught by by my parents, specifically by by my mother, um, not to access that. And I watched my father anytime he exhibited anger, he would come to me within a, a matter of minutes or hours, weeping that he had exhibited that anger Hmm. you know and and so it was really taught to me that is that's not okay you can't go there Hmm. so i i could express sadness like nobody's business well what i've come to understand now is that i actually think anger was the appropriate emotion so what is it in that scenario what does a healthy anger look like let's say as a father because you're a father i'm a father what does it look like in that moment where instead of you come with hey i apologize I got angry yeah what does it look like in a healthy way yeah sure I mean well I think healthy emotions don't live in the extremes so for instance extreme emotions what's the extreme emotion of a version of sadness for instance depression depression despair Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. um 
the the extreme of happiness might be ecstasy, right? Um, well, the extreme of anger is rage. So I don't think we have to live in rage, but I think uh, neither do we have to be sublimated to where we're not experiencing anger at all. In that case, it is about my voice does raise, my face does flush. And those are okay. And those are okay. And I might even say, I'm really angry at you. In fact, any time that we can step back and articulate our experience, it automatically helps pull us away from those extremes. So I think in part, it's about learning how to articulate it. Rather than coming with an apology, it's articulating to your children. Hey, I got pretty upset there. I raised my voice. I yelled a little bit. And rather than just coming in with a, I'm so sorry, I should never have done that. Is that, is that what you're saying? Exactly. That what I need to do is, um, first of all, the apologies need to stop. <coughs> what an absolutely confusing thing for a child to experience their parent in this very human moment. And moments later have this whiplash experience of this sobbing, self-hating, kind of self-immolating creature. <coughs> Instead, um, to articulate, yeah, I got really angry at you, bud. And I was angry because I had told you 10 different times to do this thing and you disobeyed. Mm -hmm. And you know that's not acceptable. Um, and so, so that anger produces what in me as a child? What, what might that anger produce in a child to watch your parent appropriately experience anger at your disobedience? To me, it shows that this is okay. It's a normal parental experience. Right, and it, it might reasonably, you know, a child who's watching this normal parent thing might reasonably go, oh, I did something wrong. I need to course correct, right? It might actually have a positive ramification. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think I, I'm learning that more from a tribe of men, right? So, you know, sitting around the fire, here I am doing what I do often, which is interrupt people, you know, and we've got this guy who's been interrupted a lot of his life. And at one moment I'm, I'm interrupting him just like has happened to him countless other times by countless other people. And in that moment he practiced something and you told, I mean, you're nodding and you're smiling. You, you shut the fuck up. Yeah. He literally looked at me and said, shut the fuck up. And, and, and what did I do? You know, I just like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, and, and, and I actually, that was a new experience for you. It was. And I actually had to kind of work through my own stuff. Like, Oh, I've been a little brother before and I've had an older brother tell me to shut the fuck up. And, yeah. I had and to for him, it was empowering. It was. And it was actually good for me too. I was like, Oh, that mattered to him. Mm -hmm. I need to step back. Mm. He had a goal that he wanted to accomplish and I was getting in his way. Right. And so I think learning how to take anger, learning how to give anger, um, that is a perfect example of how to practice um, uh, emotions as men and learning how to practice, I think, those core contributions as men. Yeah. Yeah, so where are you now with, with everything? I mean, I think we kind of patched together some of our interesting encounters together. Like, what's happening for you now? Like, what are you learning? How are you growing? What's going on? A lot of where I'm at now is around the f the physical, mm -hmm. uh, whether that's strength. Um, I've always been a skinny guy, small guy. It's still the skinny guy. You're so big. But my my goal <laughs> is is the strength piece right now. Um, but it's not just the strength. It's it's the very physical piece. Like everything seems physical to me. And I think I had mentioned this to you recently. Um, I saw an image of. Um, North Korea delivering these bodies or these body parts mm, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. back to the United States from as a part of their agreement. Yeah, part yeah. of their agreement from the Korean War. And as they're bringing them off the plane, they have hundreds of military men to honor these body parts. Uh -huh. um, I feel like our culture has sort of poo-pooed on the physical. Yeah. And to see that, I thought the military does such a good job of saying, "No, they've been." They've been deceased for, for for a long time, but 
these matter, the physical matters. Like matter matters. Matter matters. And for me, whether it's the strength piece um, or just the physical piece, like I have a hard time getting away from that right now. Everything seems very physical Mm -hmm. to me. Uh, Whether it's coffee is Mm -hmm. physical on the taste buds um, or physical in your hands if you're holding it or picking up a kettlebell mm-hmm. and swinging it around and doing all sorts of exercises. The physical matters to me and the strength piece matters a lot to me right now. Um, and, and I think this it strength, I used to, I've worked out mm-hmm. off and on all my life. Wrestler. You're a wrestler. I'm a wrestler. Yeah. Big time. Since junior high. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there's something very specific about the protection piece um. or the, yeah, I, th- I think it's mostly the protection piece. If something happened and I had to um, give life and limb for my family, mm-hmm. that protection... P- and I, I can't if I'm just a piece of You'd have to rely on someone else. I'd have to rely on someone else, unless I can gain some sort of physical strength here, uh, which is what I've been working on. And I know it's uh-huh. going to take a while, but um, the physical... And I think David Abrams in Spill of the Sensuous... Um, sort of pushed me in that direction. There's something about the physical, whether it's an, uh, a, a group of ants in the corner of your house that you're feeding, or whether it's uh, physically being strong to protect your family, uh, or the wind blowing and feeling the wind. I mean, we've spent countless nights out by the fire where yeah. one side of our body is on fire from the fire and the <laughs> other side is freezing cold yeah. from the wind. And there's this fascinating tension between the two. Uh-huh. So to me, almost everything comes back to physical. Mm-hmm. And I also grew up in a world where the physical was sort of this um, fleeting experience. It was devalued. It was devalued. Yeah. And it was, what's the, where's your soul going after you die? Mm-hmm. So I have this hyper-awareness of the physical right now, uh, even with meditation, breath, and mm-hmm. you know, the physical is a big deal to me right now. Yeah. And I think that that is a part, a unique part of, of being a radical human today. La- uh, last episode we talked, uh, I tried to kind of introduce those concepts of this progressive mindset, the myth of progress mindset, um, and versus this radical worldview to the root. And I think one of the things that is most to the root is ourselves as embodied creatures hmm. we are we are creatures with faces mm-hmm. and just because we can now have interchangeable parts and surgery that uh, sounds it's plasticky in nature it doesn't change the fact that we actually are these physical beings having a physical experience and that brings it all back to the present moment right which i think we all tend to ignore it's very easy to ignore that present moment right like i feel the wind on me Mm -hmm. sometimes that's an annoyance like i gotta put a jacket on yeah i've been taking cold showers lately which is not to prove something Mm -hmm. but it's to feel more more deeply in the moment shit that's cold (laughs) what does that feel like right oh my goodness like there's this sort of aliveness that comes out in physical feeling Mm -hmm. you know it's so interesting i had um probably one of the most profound experiences for, for me within the last several years was um, I had actually just disclosed to, to my, my own wife that uh, I had had uh, an affair and uh, I, I betrayed her in that way. It was a tremendously painful uh, disclosure and experience and a lot of things were up in the air as you could imagine. And, um, and we took a walk, you know, we live in this, in this, uh, area has a lot of great trails near it. And we had taken a walk through the trails and we were, you know, still like three quarters of the way we're left to home and it started to rain and it was that big fucking chubby rain, you know, that just like gets in your bones and it was cold. And I start running towards home and I felt like this icy claw reach out from behind me and it was her and she grabbed me and she says don't fucking run feel this in your body feel it right and um, you know I, I tear up even just talking about it because it was such a profound moment she understood that part of my own addiction part of my own numbing part of my own escapism was actually avoiding my body 
avoiding, oddly, ironically, the sensuous universe. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what I needed to do more than anything was to feel again, mm-hmm. even feel discomfort. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe a lot of us are in that, that numb region. Hey, you said even feel discomfort. I feel like discomfort might be the most important area to feel now. Along with sprinklers. Oh, was that sprinklers? <laughs> it sounds like it. it here, here, in the, here in the feral forest <laughs> of all places. Somehow there's sprinklers. Yeah. Yeah, the hazards of, uh, of hosting a podcast in the wild yeah. of the suburbs. Evolving wild. Uh, evolving wild. Uh, Drew, it's been really good uh, having you here. Um, we're going to talk again. And... Uh, for everybody listening, Drew is one of a rotating cast of characters. Drew is ecology man. He is mindfulness man. He is strength man. I'm just joking, but wouldn't that be great if like that was like your character and every time you had to like play into those? Well, I will now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, it's super great having you. Uh, thanks for making the trek. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, absolutely. Glad to be here. And uh, thanks for listening to Lost Man Standing, everybody. All right. Bye. Bye.